0: Okay, so really, in talking about um, in talking about Ruth's retreat center, I feel tremendous gratitude to her because she was such a maverick and uh, created a center that um, uh, came into being from the um, the not. Recycle boxes, but you know when you throw furniture away? What do you call that? You throw it away. Furniture. Adult? Recycle. Free cycle. <laughs> so in so she lived in Hollywood and she would drive around and you can just imagine her, this older woman bending over and going through those mm. large things mm-hmm. when houses were being remodeled. And most of Dharma Dena it's furnished out of those boxes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mattresses, blankets, little doilies, cloths, sheets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, isn't that... And that became the gateway for our community, women and queer community, it was the first retreat. She was the first teacher to teach women, just women's retreats. And then mo- most of us were queer, so it was <laughs> like she was that gateway. And I just feel tremendously grateful, and so I wanted to um, talk about gratitude as the theme of the Starma Talk. And I'm talking about it because in that exploration, I felt against moved by the relationship that we have. For some of us it's new and for some of us it's been years and years where this tradition and the Sangha is based on gifting. It's based on the movement of the heart in an expression of appreciation and that there's no charge and how much of a blessing it is for me to receive that. Because I know you're giving it out of that movement of your heart, that appreciation. And in living that way, I feel like Dharma has been such a I'm um, part of the Eightfold path, path in my ethical practice because it's sort of like when we receive that acknowledgement, right, wherever and however we receive a gift or an acknowledgement, it not only opens our hearts, but it grows that place inside of us of, yes, that's why I want to make more effort. That's why I'm not going to just let this go, but I'm going to pick it up and be mindful again. That, that, gifting and appreciation that we are involved with is at the fundamental part of this practice because it's the very beginning of us reflecting back to ourselves, oh, I'm giving, whatever it is, because really it's not the amount. It's that appreciation, right, of, I am giving, so giving to the teachers that I work with that I'm giving you and in that giving I see the goodness and the beauty of my being and in receiving I also do and so it becomes a relationship of gratitude. There was an experiment, there was an experiment that um, um, some Uh, psychologist did in England and it was about, it was about, it was called positive psychology and they wanted to do this experiment that addressed the antidote to negative states in the mind and so they had one group um, and every day for eight weeks this group was supposed to contemplate for 20 minutes twice a day what they're grateful for. And then they had one group that was supposed to talk about, uh, was contemplating 20 minutes twice a day of what was awful. Like, just, like, what do you not like, right? <laughs> and, um, and one group that was, um, that didn't do anything. <laughs> so what they found with the group that practiced this for eight weeks is that they felt less stress in their lives, they slept better, they had a higher level of physical well-being, they were more satisfied in their relationships, there was more self-acceptance, and more positive energy with the difficulties in life. They knew how to reach out for support when they needed. They were better planners. Imagine that, better planners and less likely to go to negative behaviors like substance abuse. So, that's, you know, apart from the Buddha giving us this foundation of gratitude to practice on, he has positive psychology in different words saying how transformative it is to come into this relationship. And, and, and so it's not even about the thing, clearly, because all the people in this group who practice gratitude were being grateful for different things. So it's not the content or the object. It's the relationship, right? So I remember um, when I uh, was doing beaded featherwork, and I beaded the bottom of a feather. When I was tr- training with Evelyn Eaton, part of the training was learning to bead, and um, who was an indigenous prayer woman. And so I gave him this feather that had this, these cut- beaded cut- beads and, in a pattern. And when he died, and I was helping my mom clean out the drawer, in the drawer was this very tattered feather with the beads coming undone. And I felt so touched that my father had saved this little thing that I'd given him. Particularly because when I'd gone through a painting phase, I'd given them some of my paintings. And when they left London to move back to South Africa in 1994, um, and I said to them, oh, you know, where the paintings I gave you, and I said, "Oh, we just couldn't fit them in," and I was so <laughs> devastated because I'd given them these lovely paintings, and I know friends whose parents put all their paintings up <laughs> everywhere in their house, you know, and I didn't have any, so it was just, it was just very, it just felt very, um, uh, the depth of. What it means to give, to receive, and then to have, to have that be alive in, in our relationships and in our lives. And so in this way, gratitude is, is really about um, how we relate to the world. And that it is a, 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 the type of relationship that transforms something from being mundane into being sacred. So it's, in a way, the practice of gratitude is called a blessing, and the definition of a blessing, I love this, is to kneel down in front of, to pay homage, which is connected to the Latin bened- benedictiary I'm, st- I'm starting not to hear you. Oh, thank you for letting me know. Okay. and um. Well, now the paper. Oh, oh I, it it hard, I think it's it's a a little um, a little louder. So, um, it the practice of gratitude is so um much a condition for developing mindfulness because. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the field in which mindfulness grows is in the field of appreciation and open heart. And so have you noticed how often in the last few years they've said, notice your intention and then feel the appreciation you have of that intention and feel it in the body because that becomes the environment. That mindfulness can grow out of. And it's actually so close to faith, right? Because when there's gratitude, there's this connection to what's happening, and faith is really the beginning expression of being connected, whatever it is. And it's growing, so I remember a story where a Zen teacher said to a student, here, I want you to take this fish and painted, it. And so the Zen student painted it and gave the painting and the master said, no, go back and do it again. And he did it again. No, go back and do it again. And what the student got is that because he had sort of glossed over and related more to the concept, oh, this is a fish, and not that he didn't sort of notice the lines, but that he didn't Haley, like Grockett, he didn't really notice all the details. And when he did, when he noticed all the details, this great welling of appreciation came up for the life of this fish. And so, in, ta- in just contemplating this talk on gratitude, I really got the link between why the Buddha talks so much about generosity and gratitude and as the first pillar, and then mindfulness. Because mindfulness is knowing the details of the experience, right? It's like, it isn't just this like kind of, oh, you know, when you're driving and you notice a car, it's just like, oh, car, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, that labeling process of perception where there's just this general labeling, you see a couple of marks or shapes on the object, you label it in your mind, it's conceptual, and then that's it. There isn't any deepening into the experience of the object. And so, one of the Abhidharma definitions of mindfulness, right, do you remember? Is that it's like a pebble that drops into the depths of the water in comparison to a cork being floated on the surface of the water here and there so the opposite of mindfulness is that distraction or incapacity to connect and relate deeply with the experience right and so that it just it's just so beautiful that we have this capacity then this mindfulness that can know something and drop down and know it more deeply, and know it more deeply, and inquire and know it, and so that the the depth of the knowing then ends up becoming the field of awakening, of insight. That as we know something and the details of the experience it, so just simply the breath, the first part of the training is the concentration practice of returning and returning, because when the mind is really distracted, right, then we're not being able to connect with anything, right? But before that focus is the environment of appreciation and generosity. Wow, it's so brilliant. I have the intention to be present. I really appreciate that I do. And then, creating the best environment for the um, capacity to focus, to orient to whatever it is we want to know. And then in that orientation, the connection, the knowing of the experience over and over, and through that then, right, beginning to see both the places where we're defended, we talked about that this afternoon, the places where we're shut down, the places where we're grasping, as just knowing, like that student knowing the fish. Oh, this is how grasping is. Oh, this is how some kind of constriction in my body is because there hasn't quite been the conditions to grieve my mom knowing that this is when she she just died. This is how it is, that, that knowing the details of the experience and then in the knowing, that field of knowing, the solidity begins to dissolve and the heart begins to open, so that what the student said when he finally was able to see the details of the fish, I relate to the story because something similar has happened when I painted things feeling the sacredness of life that's one way of saying it that here is this being and when we ate today right that orientation of I'm taking in life and it's not just like I'm eating or thanks but here is the earth in it Like just looking at our food here's the waters generating that environment inside of us for the opening of the heart to to really drop down like that pebble into the water and deeply know what is true, which is being held in the interconnection with all life. And I, I want to say it that way, feeling in union and non-separation, like I'm not separate, I'm eating earth, and I'm taking in the water of this cracker, because it's not all crumbled, it's held together right by the moisture and the heat, and I'm taking that in, and it's not like we're separate, we're in union, and As that food is taken in, and we notice it, and we notice the chewing and the swallowing, and then the breath that comes. Did you feel that? Did you any of you feel that? That that the moment of like here we all are. I'm here's earth in my stomach, and maybe I felt it more particularly today because I had the worst gas, I don't know what it was from, but it was <laughs> terrible gas yesterday. And so I, I, I didn't really eat very much because my gas was so bad, and um, so I would just had half a cracker, and I was like, wow, here is the being being nourished by life. You know, and so that deep, um, that interconnection that really is, it feels like critical, and I, and, I, and, I, and it feels feminine. You know, it's not just like be mindful. It's like opening to the appreciation first, feeling it, feeling the relatedness of it, acknowledging the beauty of our intention, and then it's like in that, knowing the experience. So this is um, this is what the this is what the oh, that's the end one. This is what the Buddha um, said about blessings. I know it's here somewhere. Or maybe it isn't. Well, I can read another one if I don't have it oh yeah good so he says of the highest blessings right reverence and humility contentment and a grateful bearing hearing Dharma when it's timely this is the highest blessing patience Humility when corrected. Seeing practitioners and then discussing the Dharma when it's timely. This is the highest blessing. Self-restraint and holy life. All the noble truths in seeing. Realization of Nirvana. This is the highest blessing. Though touched by worldly circumstances, never our mind is wavering. Sorrowless, stainless and secure. This is the highest blessing. Since by acting in this way. We are everywhere unvanquished. And everywhere we go. In safety. Ours the highest blessing. And here ends the discourse on blessing. So. This. This is really, um, really close to the practice of cultivating joy. And in that practice of cultivating the joy, uh, cultivating joy, the Buddha says, look at the beautiful qualities living inside of you. And so, really, that's what the Buddha is saying, right? He's saying, notice, not that we insist we're humble all the time, Um, but we notice when we have reverence, and one of the reasons that I sometimes bow to the altar is not because I think that stone has any special properties, but I'm bowing so I can feel my own reverence. And so we create conditions for these energies to come up, and then we acknowledge them and so um the condition for contentment which is that practice of 20 minutes listing what you're grateful for right every morning and every evening and i think you heard me say this when i did my first oil refinery march which was led by indigenous peoples that went from richmond because do you know california there's like all these huge oil refineries on the bay around Richmond and it goes from, is it called Martinique? That's That Martinique is an island, something like that, um, to Richmond. So we were doing this 12 mile march and we met early at 7 a.m. and so there were prayers and there were these prayers of gratitude. and. Uh, You know, I I was somewhat grumpy because I had to wake up early and I had to drive really early and so on and so forth. And I was grumpy and there I was and I was trying to train my mind to be with the prayers. And this person went on and on and on and we were standing, we weren't even sitting. And we had to walk 12 miles after this. And, you know, at some point I, I... was like, either you're going to be in suffering or you have to surrender, Arena. <laughs> so, but it, then afterwards, after doing the walk, I reflected on it and it's like, isn't that an amazing practice where with a group of people you take the time, an hour of giving thanks? I, I, I think that is like, uh, that's so that's so humbling to me. You know, that it's that building that relationship up, not rushing, which is like one of my big, deeply conditioned things, and not only me. And and saying, no, this is the most important thing we can do with our time is to give thanks. And so that's what the Buddha is saying is, um, to acknowledge that and to acknowledge these beautiful qualities and to be grateful for them, to 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 acknowledge them over and over again and be grateful to them and then to acknowledge the Dharma. So and then the other practice around gratitude is the practice of acknowledging the preciousness of your life. That you're alive. And I don't know. Some of you I know have, have had bad health diagnoses at some point, and um, have been close to death, or maybe not. I don't know which group I'm trying to remember. Which group? But some of us in our group have died, and um, and some of us have been very sick and survived. And there's something maybe even just having a car crash, you know? Where the immediacy of the vulnerability, talking about vulnerability, the vulnerability of our life, and in that acknowledgement, or in the acknowledgement of being with someone who's dying, we moved in gratitude for the preciousness of life. And the Buddha said that that was one of the greatest um, practices of connecting with the Dharma and of reflecting on our blessings is to reflect on the preciousness of life and our life in particular. And I remember I used to say this a lot, that story of a um, a practitioner coming up to the Buddha and, and saying, you know, can you talk about the preciousness of life? And the Buddha they're standing up by the banks of the Ganges, and he picks up this tiny pinch of, of um, sand, puts it on his nail, and he says, this is how few sentient beings are given the gift of life, compared to all of life everywhere, are given the gift of life and access to the Dharma. Okay. And so you should be deeply grateful for having your life and having access to the dharma, because it's that combination uh, in his understanding that makes our life sacred, or any spiritual practice that is based, like this church, on integrity, and on respect, and on caring. So every every time I've been here with you, I've said, the quote of um, that one moment of mindfulness is counts for more than living a hundred years without it. Yeah. yeah, One moment of mindfulness is more important than a hundred years without it. So whatever we're doing and talking to myself in terms of rushing, thriving and rushing, I was a uh, who was a? Was someone was driving, and I was like telling them, "Oh, you can go here and there." I can't remember who it was, and they were well, like, "I could feel that tension, you know." And I'm like, "No, because it's quicker. Let's get there sooner, you know." And um, and the many, many times we're doing something where we're not being mindful, and according to the Buddha, how it really doesn't count. It doesn't count for. Um, supporting that vision that lies inside of us, that, is, that brought us here, that is being called to manifest the highest blessings. So contemplating death, there's this lovely poem by Linda Paston. It's called Imaginary Conversation. You tell me to live each day as if it were my last. This is in the kitchen where, before coffee, I complain of the day ahead, that obstacle race of minutes and hours, grocery stores and doctors. But why the last, I ask? Why not live each day as if it were the first? All raw astonishment. Eve rubbing her eyes awake that first morning. The sun coming up like an ingenue in the east. You grind the coffee with the small roar of a mind trying to clear itself. I set the table, glance out the window where dew has baptized every living surface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a... Uh, mm. I remember when um, I went sort of into a semi-coma state with polio and then I hadn't seen my parents for four months because I was in isolation and then my father coming to say goodbye to me the doctor said you better say goodbye to your daughter she's dying and my father coming to see me and I remember that something turning, that spark of For me, it felt like being remembered, you know, because as a six-year-old, it felt like I was just being abandoned. I didn't really comprehend what was going on. And that spark, I could feel it in seeing my father of life again. And it's just, you know, feeling just that very, like I'm dying and I could feel it dying. And even as a six-year-old, that coming back into life, and how it's incomparable, and the, you know, then that goes and we forget and everything else, and then we have the Dharma that brings us back again, right? So I want to stop there because I want to offer you um, the opportunity, um, and it's you know it's a long day already. Um, I want to offer you the opportunity to break into a dyad. And to take a moment and share with each other, a few minutes each, to share with each other what you're grateful for.